Hello and welcome. You're listening to Jot That Down, where we provide you with knowledge you're not asking for. I'm Chloe. I'm Alex. And I'm Haley. Today's episode covers Netflix Presents This Is a Robbery, Episodes 1 and 2. This four-part series covers the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist that took place in Boston in March of 1990. We will be spoiling the show and covering episodes one and two in this episode, so if you haven't watched it yet, stop listening now if you plan to, or continue listening and hear what took place in March of 1990. Alex, can you give us a brief history of what happened at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum for our listeners who don't know? Okay, sure. So in the early morning hours of March 18, 1990, 13 works of art were stolen from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. The guards admitted two men posing as police officers responding to a disturbance call, and the thieves tied the guards up and looted the museum over the next hour. The case is still unsolved and there's no arrests that have been made and no works have been recovered. Dun, dun, dun. So the FBI has valued the hall um, at $500 million and the museum is offering a $10 million reward for information leading to the arts recovery. And that is the largest bounty ever offered by a private institution. So the stolen works were procured by the collector, Isabella Stewart Gardner, and intended for permanent display at the museum with the rest of her collection. Um, So among the stolen paintings were the concert, one of 34 paintings by Johann Viermeer, and thought to be the most valuable unrecovered painting in the world. And Rembrandt's only seascape, the storm on the Sea of Galilee was also stolen. Um, other paintings and sketches by Rembrandt, Degas, Mena, and Flink were also stolen. Hmm. Hmm. Is right. I want to start out by saying that I don't consider myself like an art lover, but watching this documentary made me feel so emotional because of how beautiful these paintings were and how old they were and all of the history behind it and seeing that someone was capable of going in and just trashing the place and stealing all of these beautiful pieces. Like it actually really upset me. I wasn't expecting that kind of reaction, but I cannot like they were talking about Rembrandt and they were saying like how rare all of these pieces are. And it was just devastating. It really was. And Mm -hmm. I had never seen those photos that the police had taken Mm -hmm. on that Sunday where you see like the frames on the floor and all of the like destruction that they had essentially left behind, just like turned over tables or chairs or whatever. And I've been to that museum many times. And so to see it looking like that was so bizarre because like Mm -hmm. you obviously if you go to the museum you see the frames that are empty from where the pieces were stolen which I personally think is kind of cool like obviously I wish the heist had never happened right but to see the photos of what it was like on that day I totally I totally feel the same way Haley and everyone was clearly very upset like the the director of the museum she was a director this was like her first year. Can you imagine? Oh my God. Literally now. Uh, um, but she was talking about how 
it wasn't really calculated how they were taking them out of the frames. Like they cut them from corner to corner, the pieces of art, and were just rolling them up. Like because they were saying it would have taken so much longer. Like they were in there for 81 minutes, which is so long. And the confidence in these people is insane. But they just cut them out and they're so valuable and they just sliced them. I know. I think that was one of the biggest things that I noticed too. That's like, it's one thing, I guess, in my mind to go in and like steal these paintings because like you think they're so valuable and like they're, they would be a prized possession possession to you, but to go in with like no regard at all for the art and just like slice it out of there just to get it done. Mm -hmm. And like, who knows do what with it but like that's so rude I think (laughs) it is (laughs) there's so many degrees of rudeness the audacity (laughs) these people had well I feel like the audacity that they had brings me to my first like major question I had with watching these two episodes which is like was this some sort of inside job so obviously episode two vipers in the grass sort of uncovers like the museum security and the suspect, I think his name was Richie, like the one stoner security guard, Mm -hmm. um, sort of like comes to light, but they had talked about, like they had eyewitnesses who were there and like saw something suspicious happening. And then the police and the FBI never contacted them again. So I'm like, was this an inside job? Like did the police, have any have anything to do with it like I just have so many questions about who it was and obviously we don't have answers but I I personally think after watching these first two episodes it had to be some sort of inside job like someone who worked there or was security there or had worked there had to give them like tips on what to do right especially because so the door into the museum that like the fake cops walked in through is locked and like there would be no way that it would be open unless someone inside opened it which we know like the security guard that you mentioned Richard Abbott he opened it as kind of like a signal that he is at the desk and it's like okay for the fake cops to come in so there's that and then also the way he was tied up in the basement (laughs) it was like we need to include a picture somewhere on stories or whatever it is people need to see how ridiculous this is it's like I don't even know how to describe it so it was over his eyes but like when they took pictures of him it was literally like just covering his nose like not his mouth not his eyes and Mm -hmm. then it was like wrapped around his head around his beard like it's like the first helmet ever invented and it's duct tape it just it makes no sense and and they wrapped it around his jaw like a you know like a tourniquet like with old like jaw surgeries that's what it looked like well and that was one of the like other things that stood out to me when they were talking about how Richard was like the one that the police were focusing on so much in terms of like why he was taped up that way but I thought it was interesting that he described being so relaxed and he was like well you know like what else could I do but sit there while the other guard was like panicking to me, that seems so odd. Like I would literally shit my pants. Oh, if for sure. Somebody taped me up and like locked me in a basement. So um, the mm-hmm. thing about that is how they mentioned, 
I mean, this 23 year old, he was a heavy partier. They said he was like high out of his mind, basically on every drug all the time. Mm -hmm. So that is, and I'm not defending him because I I still am very suspicious of him, but he might've been high that night, which could have accounted for all of the poor judgments he made. And maybe that is somehow how he was calm enough to like, I think he said he like sang to himself in the basement. They have not talked about the second guard yet, but I'm very curious about that. But no, they mentioned it. Did it they? Was, yeah, it was like there's usually one guard, but he's an old guy and he always calls out and right he called and they, out that night. And mm-hmm. so he had like a like a a replacement person come in. Um, but he had only known that he was gonna be on the shift like a couple hours earlier. So they're like there's probably no way that he's involved because he didn't even know he was working until like day of right I just felt like it was weird that they didn't talk like they mentioned that but then they haven't given any other details like I would love to know what was going through his head and compare that to how Rick was feeling but kind of want to circle back to Chloe's thing because I also believe it's an inside job as we're at with like finishing episode two and I will say it is so suspicious And I don't know what it is, but like you said, Chloe, there were two eyewitnesses who were walking at night and they saw these cops that were about to rob the place and they knew them. They had like descriptions of them, which actually were like not at all like what the what was it? The guard said that they looked like Mm -hmm. like the descriptions were so off. And I feel like their information would actually be super helpful. And then no one contacted them again. But the weird thing is is like, is the FBI suspicious of Boston PD? And they're wondering if it's actual cops who did this. And is Boston PD thinking that the FBI is not going to be as helpful because it's an art heist? I don't know. There's a whole lot of disconnect going on between the two. For sure. Well, like one of the things that I thought was so interesting, and I had never, like this thought has never crossed my mind before, but the one... I can't remember if it was the director or the former director who was saying, no, 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 sorry. It was one of the FBI guys. And he was saying like the FBI in 1990 did not have anybody to like investigate art. And so Mm -hmm. they had like nobody on this case. Like when they came to the museum, they, it was sort of like they were fish out of water. Like they were unsure of next steps. And it sort of just seemed like a shit show honestly, like they had no leads. They had no real idea of like what to do. Um, and they probably honestly were suspicious of the cops. Like if two guys came in dressed like cops, I don't know. I feel like it's hard to investigate police as police. You know what I mean? Yeah. I also thought it was weird that, um, one of the eyewitnesses there, cause there was a man and a woman and the man said that he told the cops that the the people that did the heist or the like the suspicious people that he saw in the car had the like Boston PD patch on like their jacket. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? And he pointed to his own jacket and then the cop took the jacket away. I was just like, "Mm, no, like Mm. suspicious. Do you know what I mean? True. No, for sure. I think it's so ballsy, no matter who did it to dress like a cop, like to impersonate a cop mm-hmm. is I'm pretty sure it's a crime. First of all, it's like a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, Unless it's a Halloween costume. 
like you can't impersonate office. a cop you can like wear a uniform probably like a fake one right like Vito in the Sopranos obviously oh my god okay. also include that on the stories um but I just like kept thinking as Haley was saying it how it reminded her of the town it really did give me like town vibes watching all of like you know the reenactments that they had um because who who thinks they can get away with something dressed like a cop like these people clearly knew whatever they were doing they could get away with and that's what makes right. me think near the end I was like so does this mean because we're talking about how people would have the confidence to know they're going to get away with it and also pretend to be cops and then I was like holy crap what if they actually are cops because if anything goes wrong they are actually identified as cops like in the depleted like, yes oh my god Truly yeah really I wouldn't insane. be surprised if that was the case um do you guys want to talk a little bit about the timeline like sure Sure. So I think I need a little clarification, actually. So from the time that they walked through the door that was already open Mm -hmm. and but then they had to ring into the guard and say, like, there was a disturbance call. Right. Yes. Yes. So they had to be buzzed in through a first door. So they had to go through two doors. The first door was open and then a buzz Uh through the second. Right. Okay. I think so. Yeah. But then. There's motion sensors, like proximity alarms in the museum that would be triggered and like send an alarm to that computer that they showed, like Mm -hmm. every time someone was like close enough to the artwork. Mm -hmm. In each room, like they had all these other, like all of these rooms. Yeah. But I think, didn't they say that like all those alarms, like the first alarm to the last alarm when they left was only like 40 something minutes, right? So what were they doing like before that? So I'm looking on Wikipedia. So Richard Abbott completes his tour of the entire museum around 1 a.m. and returns to the security desk. The thieves were first witnessed around 1230 by several of the eyewitnesses who we had discussed were never contacted again. Um, and the witnesses thought they were policemen, but saw that they came out of an unmarked car on a side street next to the museum. Then at 1.20 a.m., the thieves drive up to the side entrance and park, walk up to the side door and ring the buzzer. So after they ring the buzzer, Richard lets them in at 1.24, four minutes after they have rung. And then they were let into this separate locked foyer that is like a separate side door entrance from the museum. And they approach Richard at his desk and ask if anyone else is in the museum and to bring them down. So he radios to the other security guard at the desk. And according to Wikipedia, he notices around this time that the mustache appears to be fake. And I remember them saying that in the documentary, how he said it looked like weirdly greased, which just reminds me of like an 80s porno mustache. <laughs> There's two men. The shorter man forces Abbott against a wall and handcuffs him and ties him, you know, with duct Does tape. a shit job. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Then the other guy does the same thing to the second guard. And without asking for directions, 
the two police officers lead the guards to the basement where then they handcuff them to the steam pipe and workbench. And is this where they, they went through the secret door? There was a secret door in a room that only employees apparently knew about. And that brought them to the basement, right? I honestly, so Wikipedia doesn't say, but I do remember in one of the rooms, I don't know which room specifically they had talked about how like, one of the walls was actually a secret door where one mm-hmm. of the paintings was and they went through that and they were like, yes, how that's exactly yeah, that's yeah. what she's talking about. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So back to the timeline, it took the thieves 11 minutes to subdue the guards and it was now one thirty-five AM. The thieves movements through the museum were recorded on infrared motion detectors. So they stepped into the first room, the Dutch room on the second floor at 1.48 a.m. So this is 13 minutes after they finished subduing the guards. Mm. What were they doing in that time? We have no idea. Then as they're approaching the Dutch room, a device begins beeping that would normally trip when a patron is like too close to a painting and they smashed it. They took two paintings and threw them onto the floor and shattered their glass frames. So they used the blade, cut the canvases out and rolled them up. You know, they assumed that they were rolled up. Who knows if they actually did. Then it was 1.51 AM. So one thief continues working in the Dutch room. And the second one goes to the short gallery on the other end of the second floor. So now they've gone through three rooms the Dutch room, the short gallery, and the blue room. And the motion detectors are like catching all of this motion on the infrared detector, but there's no alarm going off because they've smashed it. So now the thieves move to take the artwork out of the museum and the side entrance doors show that they were opened at 2.40 a.m. And then for the last time at 2.45 a.m., thus making the robbery last 81 minutes. That's the Wikipedia timeline. Okay. So, and then also I remember them saying that um, the, there was like a frame that was found on the chair in the, like the VHS room, like where the security tape was. And didn't they think that that was taken down like before the heist even began? Yes. Because I can't remember what it was though. Like it was like, there was nothing from the the gallery like the room that that portrait or that painting was in that like would indicate that like someone went there yes like they so the thieves had they weren't really that smart I don't think but they were smart enough to rip off the paper like the paper trail of all of the infrared detections whatever but there was a hard drive that people had to investigate and be like, okay, when did they enter this room? Whatever it was. And they found out that Rick Abbott was the last one to go into that room and a piece of art was stolen from that room. Right. Okay. So it's like probably him. Mm, It looks really bad for him. It truly does. And I don't know why they didn't like, why didn't they take him as seriously as a suspect? Or maybe they did. I don't know. Um, I feel like because he was a hostage, their initial thought was there's no way he's involved in this. You know what I mean? That's true. Yeah. Hmm. Also, like, 
I mean, you look at him and I'm not trying to profile, but like, here we go. (laughs) It's this 23 year old young kid who just like clearly doesn't give a shit about his job. And he's just kind of like hot high all the time. And he was interrogated a bunch and people just like didn't get the vibe from him that he would be capable of something like this. It's very weird. It's so strange. I can't. That's true. It really is. This does raise a question for me, which is like all of the people that they interviewed in this, the two episodes, specifically like the guard and then the other, I forget what his name was. Miles. Oh, Miles Connor. Connor. The the other the like art thief who had robbed the MFA. Mm -hmm. Like I feel as though the police annoyed me in this. I can't remember if it was episode one or episode two, but when they were like, we wanted to make an arrest of this guy because he had committed this crime once before, Mm -hmm. even though he had been in jail during the Mm -hmm. Isabella Stewart Gardner heist, like that really rubbed me the wrong way. Yes. Like the guy, Miles Connor had like called them ahead of time and warned them and the cop was like just hearing that I wanted to arrest him it's like Jesus Christ like, please stop so I have I will... to oh mm-hmm. no you go ahead mm-hmm. no I was I don't even know what I was gonna say oh. well I was just gonna say that it's interesting I think that the guard had something to do with it because like they were so aware of like the layout like where the art was the changing of the guards like the fact that they would take turns like I don't think you could really learn that just by like going to the museum a bunch you know like there's specific things I think you would need like insider knowledge but I will say that I think that they were not as knowledgeable like as they should have been as a thief because like they didn't even take some of the most like um, expensive pieces and they also took things that were basically worthless like that's so Chinese, strange like sculpture or whatever and also remember when they talked about all the time they took to take that little it was like a two inch by two inch little sketch mm-hmm. and i don't and think it was worth to take it out of the frame <laughs> yes and like compared to in the frame and compared to everything else it wasn't nearly as expensive and i think it took them longer to take it seems so weird like some of the pieces like the vermeer and like Rembrandt and what is it? Manet. Manet? I don't Manet. even know. Manet. Yeah. That makes sense because it's worth so much money, but they took the other things just seemed like trophies that whoever's stealing it is going to keep just to remember the heist. Like they took, I don't know if this is how you say it, but eat an eagle finial. It's like the end of something that like goes to a flag. And there's a $100,000 reward separate from the $10 million reward for any news or information just for that. Just for that? Just for that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, I, I was really fascinated by the fact that the museum has gotten so many emails and letters from people like in prison saying, oh, contact me. And they only want to contact the director and they don't want to work with the police. Mm -hmm. Um, It obviously seems extremely suspicious. And I don't think, I mean, 
I can't say for fact that none of those are probably credible, but it seems like one of those things where they're kind of just fucking with her to be like, oh, like we know what happened and, you know, they're just like toying with her. But it's crazy that she received so much of that and nobody ever like followed up on it. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I understand what you're saying. Like, I definitely wouldn't like put all your eggs in that basket like you should definitely look at all the letters because like there will be a lot that are just like bullshitting her but like someone in prison probably actually does know something credible oh for sure they're missing out on but i talked about oh sorry Haley. i feel like it can't be up to the director to investigate those things like yes she's the one being contacted but like she was just hired to make the museum like profitable and better than the guy who like had run it for the last 18 years. And so I feel like, again, the police or the FBI are really like failing her in that sense where mm-hmm. she's getting all of these tips and it's like, why are we not looking into these things? So a couple interesting things that the documentary brought up was how art actually started to become its own currency. I know we could, we, we could discuss like how you can trade art, how you can make money off of it through the black market. Like how, like, how was this being used? We, there's a lot of questions, but police and the FBI were actually saying that this was, this started the movement of more art heists and people using art as currency. Like um, the Miles Connor guy got away with, he was supposed to do so many more years in prison. And I think he only did four for robbing the MFA because he knew where a certain painting was. And he said, if you reduce my sentence, I will let you know where this painting is. And it worked. So it's crazy how this is now, like they were calling it a get out of jail free card. So it's obviously very attractive to Jake's making noises. It's obviously very attractive to people who are in jail. And then the other thing is that one of the cops, I really liked him. He was sitting in a bar when he was being interviewed and he is definitely a, an ex Boston cop because he has the accent, but he was talking about how you're coming up in the nineties as a cop. Your, your hot ticket is not going to be an art heist. You are not going to get fame credit. You're not going to feel more incentivized to research an art heist and find whoever did it. It's going to have to be a story about you like finding out about the mafia or mob members or turning them in. Like it just wasn't top of mind for a lot of people. Hey, you brought up many excellent things. The first one I want to touch on is how the fuck does the black market of art work? I, this is something that I will never understand. And I'm currently watching Breaking Bad and it sort of feels like this one part of breaking bad in the sense that like there's people all over the world who work through different like minions and workers and trade and exchange, you know, drugs or goods or whatever art. Um, and I, it just blows my mind that some of these pieces could be, Oh, I'm cutting myself off to ask, do we think all the pieces are together or do we think they're all sold individually? So. I kind of had the thought that it would make the most sense in this situation that like the thief already had a buyer in mind Mm -hmm. and like a person that wanted 
things, it would kind of make sense like why it was like specific things and not just like the most valuable things. Um, because also like if you don't have a buyer and you have like all this art that like the museum is willing to pay a lot of money to get back, like the fact that it has never come up is strange. And also like you probably aren't going to have a buyer like right away. So I feel like going into it, they probably had someone who was like willing to get these paintings and like willing to like um, hire these people to do the heist. Mm-hmm. But also like the, I feel like if you were to have someone who wants these and like is paying you for it, like I don't I think you would be more careful with what you're stealing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. In the black market in general, like it is very confusing. But I think the point is that only bad people who don't want to get caught are going to be included in it. Like we were like, well, who would do this? And like, how wouldn't anyone notice? And even the documentary was like, it might just be some like um, Russian diplomat who has it in his basement and literally owns it because he likes knowing that he owns something so expensive. Like they're not going to be showing it off. Well, that's the thing that to me I'm like, what the fuck is the point of even having this art if you can't display it and like proudly state that you're the owner of it? To me, it just, it it doesn't make sense. Like it doesn't make sense why somebody would want stolen goods instead of something that they legitimately purchased and can, you know, show to the world. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just not cut out for the black market world. (laughs) And it all very, it very much felt like, like an oceans job to me. It It was like the town oceans, because like, how else do you pull something off like that? I don't get it. And that's what makes me again, think it's an inside job and maybe episodes three and four will like clarify things. But I also know that there is, or was like some investigation into the mafia, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I and think they're going to concentrate on that now. Yeah, I think that will be touched on. But I'm curious, like, they clearly have a bunch of potential, you know, suspects and or leads. And it just kind of seems like, I don't know, the case. I don't know if it's, like, actively being looked into, but nothing has changed in the last, like, 27 years. It's truly insane. 23 years? 31 yeah definitely more like 31 like think of how old we are oh 19 sorry (laughs) 1990 not 1993 the year I was born I don't want to know when you guys were born I wasn't yeah Yeah. I know you weren't she's Kyle xy (laughs) she doesn't have a belly button I'm just gonna ask is that the guy without the belly button yeah (laughs) I never watched that um okay so a, a different question, sort of unrelated to the episodes. Do you guys think, and I only ask this because obviously, like I watch a lot of TikTok in my free time and it seems like whatever the fuck generation under me just gives no shits about anybody but themselves. Um, and this is all just like TikTok people. But do you think that museums are going to be outdated at some point? Because I can't see half the people I see on TikTok like ever going into a museum. It's hard to predict. I actually don't understand now 
um, like how museums stay running? <laughs> like how are they funded? Well, so it sort know? of depends on the museum. Like some museums for the like the Smithsonian's in DC, they are all free, you know, admission, but they make money off of, I think just big donors. Um, yeah. I have to fact check that. Okay. Yeah. So in the case of like museums funded by donors and just like rich people, like wanting to have these museums open and like preserve the art and stuff, I don't know how much longer people are going to be interested in paying to like keep them open. So I take that back. The, okay. the Smithsonian's are federally funded and wow. then they also generate income from gifts revenue generating activities and investments known as trusts. Um, but obviously like some museums. So my favorite museum in Washington, DC was the museum. And when I lived there, I went a bunch of times and it recently closed like and it was one of permanently closed. Oh. And it was one of the only museums in DC that had a cost of admission. And it was very high. It was like 30 or $40, like per person. Um, which I thought was insane considering all the other museums were free, but it's like, if you are not a federally funded museum, how do you get people to go? Right. Mm. Going back to like, if we think museums are going to be a thing, I hate to say it, but like, if you think about whenever you go to a museum and you see, and it's not even young people, it's like people just being tourists. It's like, they're taking pictures of the artwork. They're not paying attention or observing it. Like, as sad as it is, I think a lot of people like to just go to museums to say that they did it and to have pictures. And I don't know what's going to happen to them, but I think it would be literally so sad. I, I see a difference with art museums. Like, I don't know. I personally wonder if like those would get less funding or become less popular over time, but like, how could you ever get bored of fossils? Am I, is that just me? Like I <laughs> literally no, I love, <laughs> I personally love going to all types of museums, but a couple of years ago we went to, um, the museum of natural history in New York and I was obsessed. I could have spent hours in there and I, I maybe spent a couple, but like, I don't know. It's so fascinating. I kind of feel like to answer my own question. Yes. They will still be things like they will still exist. They will still generate audiences and, and revenue and all that stuff. And I think it's because like, there are people who study history and study art history and curation and all of those things. But I don't personally know anybody who does those things. And mm -hmm. that's why I'm kind of like, who's going to be around to do right, it. Right? Who's going to do it. Like, and what is going to be in a museum in 50 years that our generation has produced or like discovered so many yeah. questions. Well, hopefully like we have better technology to discover more things, but like, I don't think we're going to like recover more paintings. Is that dumb of me? I think it will just be curating and like building collections of different art pieces, but well, it's not as though. So like when, when I studied abroad, um, Rome has the most horrible public transportation, like ever there's no tea or like train of any kind there's buses but they're pretty unreliable because 
Italians. Am I right, Alex? Mm. But the reason that they don't have trains is because every time they go to dig for like a line to be put in, they always discover like some new piece of history. And I remember our professor telling us like they will never have trains in Rome because the whole city is so old and historic. And I'm, I kind of feel like I love that me too, but I feel like when you go to Rome, you go for the history. I don't feel like anyone comes to America for the history of America. Like, no, (laughs) you know what I mean? No one wants it. And (laughs) most of us want to ignore it. Right. Like nobody except for um, Confederate flag lovers. Oh oh my God. I saw that guy again. Did I tell you? What? Oh, in the CVS. So I saw him at CVS. Oh no. This guy dressed in a Confederate flag sweatshirt with a mask that had a Confederate flag over it. And then I was walking the other day. I saw him again. I hate that. He was like actually right by Quarry Road where you guys were. Mm -hmm. Um, well, and tell people where we used to live. Yeah, like, don't tell them we lived in apartment two. <laughs> you don't live there anymore. Lived. I know. I'm just um, but he was wearing a t-shirt with a Confederate flag and the same mask. And I'm like, what the fuck? I also Yikes. don't get how he feels comfortable like in it's Brighton Brookline. doing that. Like, going back to your point, yes, like, I don't think people really go to America for the history because it is um, fucking brutal. Mm. And I I do wish we lived in like an older country. Like, I think that would be so fun because the most we're going to dig up are things like dinosaurs, which don't get me wrong. Absolutely love, but we're not going to find old cities because they didn't exist. And if they did exist, we ruined them all. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the tea. Mm -hmm. So as we know, but as we did not tell the listeners yet, um, this heist took place on the same day as the St. Patrick's Day parade. Do we think there's any connection to that? Or do we think it's like a completely unrelated fact? Oh, I think it's totally related. Mm-hmm. I think and they so. I think they emphasized that they it was a perfect time because all of the Boston cops would be In out Southie. and about like near the parade. But, like, this didn't even happen at that time. Like, you know what I mean? This happened basically in the middle of the night, and the parade wouldn't be until, like, the next day. Also, it was technically the middle of the night, but it was the middle of the night from St. Patrick's Day leading Mm -hmm. into Mm -hmm. essentially the holiday. And I feel like one or two o'clock in the morning, like, if you were a college kid going out, that's, like, you'd be i don't know that's and not what time does late. that parade start you think like i'm sure people get there so early in the morning i honestly don't know but he said hundreds of thousands of people showed up to the parade and he he also talked about um like how police from other towns came in and like other cities mm-hmm. so i feel like all of their resources were in southie Mm. okay that's good and also maybe they i don't know like maybe they somehow thought that even if they got caught like in the morning that would have given them enough lead time because they would have been at the parade like who knows but yeah i think it's correlated i definitely do 
I yeah, the more I think about it, me too. I think it really ties into the whole inside job thing because it's like they knew nobody would be there and they knew they could disable the alarm and they knew there were no other alarms aside from the infrared um like monitors or whatever they're called. Um and it just makes me feel like they had to know. They had to know somebody in the police or they had to know somebody who worked at the museum or both. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's mind blowing to me. It's all sus. Don't Haley. My last comment is that every room is so overstimulating. I couldn't (laughs) believe it. I've never been to this museum as we know, but I was like overwhelmed just looking at the footage because of the wallpaper and everything. It's just, Oh, it's like not even wallpaper. It is like fabric on the walls. Oh, it wow. is. Yeah. It's like a 3d experience. <laughs> um, I can see that, but some rooms are like very spaced out. Okay. You know what I mean? Like they're huge rooms. Yeah. Interesting. And it is like a, a very courtyard. Yeah. Courtyard. All of the rooms and galleries like look into the courtyard. Um, and like every season they change all of the flowers and sometimes they have like musicians playing in the courtyard. It's a really beautiful museum and it's such a unique experience because you're like in somebody's home but it's also kind of a like it gives me creepy vibes like certain rooms I'm like I don't want to be in there (laughs) I don't know if you agree Haley there's like a gothic themed one and I think this is where like a huge painting was stolen and I think this is where the secret door is and I don't particularly like that one I like the, there's a room that's much smaller and it has all those tiny portraits. And I think that's like very quaint and cute. So yeah, some of them can be overstimulating. I get it. You'll have to come back to Boston, Alex, and we can all go when this pandemic ever ends, which it never will. Yeah. We should also take this time to announce that we will be the ones who find out who stole the art. We should also be the ones to announce that next week, the three of us are reuniting in person and we'll be watching episodes three and four snuggled up on the couch. I literally Make love it. that. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Jot That Down. Don't forget, next week we'll be covering episodes three and four of This Is a Robbery. So make sure to listen. Follow us on Instagram at Jot That Down Pod. That's J O T that down P O D dot com. Dub, dub, dub. <laughs> I also forgot to say that the um that the robbers literally said to the guard like in the most dramatic way this is a robbery like oh, yeah. I just like I totally that. don't believe they said that right I you think you made it up yeah he and I mean we'll find we'll find out well, more but like who the fuck says that I, I don't know. I kind of feel like if I was being robbed, I would want someone to explicitly be like, this is a robbery. This oh, is by robbery. the way, <laughs> by the way, we are not cops. Like he's like, buzz me in and call your little friend over here. Okay. <laughs> buzz, buzz, buzz. Back. And also this is a robbery. That's what Netflix's documentary is called. Buzz, buzz, buzz. <laughs> buzz, buzz, buzz. Here you go. This okay, is gonna... a motherfucking robbery. <laughs> <laughs>